Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Studs. I'm Alex Studd. And I'm Ron Studd. Ron, nobody likes you when you're 23, as they say. We are on episode 23 tonight. How are you feeling? I'm feeling awesome. We've got a very awesome guest that I'm really excited to have on tonight. We've been making some good progress. Like, behind the scenes, we've got our YouTube channel that's been doing pretty well. I'm still working on trying to get all of our episodes up to date, but we're getting there. And the other day, I woke up, and you know what I thought, Alex? We need to get ourselves some merchandise. Whoa. Right? You think we're ready? I think we're we're just about ready. Maybe maybe as part of our season two, but we're definitely in that space where we need some merchandise. Funny story before we get started. My wife today, she was out driving, and she was driving around, and she saw somebody that had a bumper sticker on her car. It said BTS. And she Whoa. said... Oh, that's clearly got to be between two studs. And I said, no, that's like a K-pop band. But, you know. Close. Close. You know, my second guess would have been between two studs. Right, right. Naturally. And in fact, it works out well because our guest tonight is another Georgian. Our guest tonight is the one, the only, Mr. Dan Hellerman. How you doing tonight, friend? Oh, I'm doing great. I don't know how I feel about being called a Georgian. I've been here four years, Pennsylvania for, you know, 29, 30, something like that. So it's, it's a weird to be called a Georgian. Like I, you know, I got two kids. I've always figured they'll be called Georgians and it sort of unsettles me a little bit, but I'm, 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 I'm getting used to it. I feel like you're a lifer. Like you're not leaving the South. Ah, yeah. You'd be surprised. I think next spot might be a Colorado, a Wyoming, Montana. I'm a wild man at heart. But you're not going back to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. No, that's 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 not going to happen. I think outside of the house prices, you know, the only thing I miss there are hoagies. It's uh, Georgia doesn't have good bread. I'll die on that standard. Um, you know, we don't Amoroso? have Amoroso. Uh, absolutely. We yeah. brought, we talked about that on the last episode. Did you really? Yes, we did. That bread is is a special thing. Yeah, you you just you can't pass it up. And so, to me, you know, the food's better in Georgia. The, the family life, everything. So. We're, we're pretty set here, but I could, I, could, I could see us moseying around. I'm a bit of a wanderer. Well, for now, you're a Georgian, so just take yeah. it. Or until GameStop goes to the moon and I buy a couple of vacation homes. You've actually said that you've listened to our podcast before, right? I have. And you probably know that at least for season one, we're a little formulaic. We've got kind of our whole process. And I think, Alex, we're going to have to kind of talk about that as we kind of wrap our season, because we might have to change that up next season. But... For all of our guests, we do this round. We call it our Ember Round, and it's to kind of get to know you a little bit better. So I think we're ready to get started. What do you think? I'm absolutely ready. Oh, heck yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get started then. So I'll kick us off with our first question. How do you know us? Oh, man. So this is a convoluted question if there ever was one. So, Ron, I met you once before your wedding because you worked with my wife at J.P. Morgan, and you both had the same delightful experience there. And so having, uh, having met you, go headed to your wedding, cut up the dance floor with you guys. After that was, was really getting you in at, at Sev One when we worked together. I remember us, you know, my wife, I think you texted her and she texted me and was like, hey, you remember Ron and his wedding? You know, they want to, he, he's interested in working at Sev One. And so that I remember getting you in and then shortly after, right, Alex joined? No, you no, have, wait, it was you the have, opposite. You have the tail backwards, my friend. Oh, right. So it was Alex first, and then Ron. Yeah. Right. Because I remember one of us fighting over the uh, 
who gets paid for referring. Uh, and, and I'll yes, I'll I'll cut the short. Oh, you, I'm you, totally you, got, you got paid. You got paid. I I didn't get anything for for my own brother. <laughs> I'm willing to take that. Listen, That's awesome. At the time, I was hurting for money. No, um, I, I remember the story. I just forgot what order it was. You guys, yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny because I I got started and I remember my brother saying, "Oh, you're." Because I was a kid right out of college. And my yeah. brother said, oh, you probably don't remember him. But at my wedding, there was this guy named Dan. He works at Sev1. I know, like, you might run into him. And you, I remember I had my, like, 9 a.m. orientation HR thing. And I yeah. walked out to go to my desk, which I had to assemble my own chair. Yeah, I was and you were, you. And you were, like, yeah, you, you like, knew me. You were, like, yep, I can tell you're Ron Studd's brother. And we chatted for a little <laughs> bit. And then I was, like, cool, I have a, my first friend. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's, it's hard to uh, hard to miss a stud brother. We'll put it that way. But now I feel bad that I butchered that story at the beginning. Well, you know, you're not the first person that thinks that Ron somehow was the first one at Sev1. Well, and listen, then it's I, because I, when you work with Ron, the time goes slow. And when you work with Alex, the time goes fast. There, That's it. That's it. But, you know, it's funny because it's like, no, like everyone thinks I, I was there before Ron and I was there <laughs> after Ron. Okay. I what mean, does that say about you, though? I, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm just the guy in the corner that gets forgotten about. I'm like uh, Milton. Listen, you I'm run up to Boston. To... You got promoted. We we stayed in the shithole of Wilmington. You were a much more important employee than either of us turned out to be. Absolutely. Yeah, I, liked how, I liked how everyone referred to the Boston office as the ivory tower. Uh, was there anything wrong with that description? You were you had a view over top of the Orioles. Or, not all Orioles, sorry. The um, God, this is how bad I am at sports. Red Sox? Red Sox. Fenway. Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. So Red Sox, you had, you know, you're on the, what, 14th floor, could see out over everything. Meanwhile, what? our view was of Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, what, the Wawa on the corner? Hey, that was a great Wawa, and you had that little pizza shop right there, too. I forgot about the pizza spot. And the Chinese. The Chinese was great. Yeah. Yeah, was it Hot Spot <laughs> Pizza? Does that sound right? It sounds close to it. I remember walking over there for sushi a lot. So speaking of food, now that we know a little bit about you and how you got introduced to us, tell us a little bit more about you and your life outside of being a Georgian. Ooh, outside of being a Georgian. So, you know, moved down to Georgia four years ago to, to join a startup almost five years ago at this point called Terminus. Have a wife and two kids, six and eight, um, who are obsessed with video games and play frequently with uh, Ron's daughter on Minecraft. Uh, I am a technophile, so I basically have every new accessory you could get from the PlayStation 5, the Xbox, crazy home theater, down to, you know, a huge collection of guns and ammo, which I'm a huge fan of, of going to the range. And then big fan, oddest, oddest interest that people always ask is probably koi fish. We had a koi pond at my last house, which I hand dug um, over the course of three months. And my, my wife and I's agreement was that I would only dig it after our son was home and our son was uh, asleep. It was when he was first born. So I'd go out into the backyard every night and dig a hole that ended up being 15 by 15 by like five feet deep for like three months in a row with a shovel. And I was, swear to God, all our neighbors must've thought I was killing her. But <laughs> in the end, it just, it was for koi fish, um, which I'm absolutely obsessed with. And uh, well, look forward to building another one. Can you get into that a little bit? I mean, I remember when I first went over to your desk when we worked together, you had a massive, I mean, a massive tank. Yeah. What's, what's, I mean, that was like, and that was like your known shtick. Like everyone yeah. knew you as the koi fish guy in the office. What was, the, what's the origin of that? That is a 
phenomenal question that I don't know the answer to, to be honest. Like I've always been obsessed with running water. We had a stream in our backyard growing up. And I remember going to places like, I mean, Long Gardens didn't have koi fish, but I remember going to like different places growing up, like hotels and things that had koi fish and just being obsessed with like watching them swim in the water. Um, and always liking aquariums, like especially like there's a side of aquarium that's like a water art where you do plants and you have like a live living tank ecosystem. I thought it was so cool. And so got really, really into all the different variants of koi fish and the different colorations and things like that. And so that's sort of, you know, we when we bought our house, funny enough, we didn't realize it had a pond with it. It had a small like 150 gallon pond that was like hidden because um, we bought it from like hoarders and we basically cleaned it all out and everything. And I like, I got obsessed with it from there. And so I went from 150 gallon pond to 5,000 overnight, literally. I mean, it was, wow. it was, it was 5, a big step up. gallons. Yeah. 5,000 that's and hand dug, like I said, with a shovel. So it was a, it was a good time. Do you have a annual subscription to the aquarium in Atlanta? I hear that's the best in the world. Believe it or not, I haven't even been yet. To me, it's like, I, I love, and I love aquariums. They're fun to see, but it's it's koi fish or bust. So back when we lived in Pennsylvania and we were, you know, down in Wilmington, there's a spot over in Carney's Point, New Jersey that I would drive to. And this guy kept the best of the best of the best. Um, and I we would do this koi tour every year that took you from Lancaster all the way out to the main line to see people's ponds ranging from five thousand dollar backyard ponds to th- these people on the main line that had spent two to three hundred thousand dollars building 30 foot waterfalls in a flat backyard that was tiered and you could go up and down it. And I like, I got obsessed with it. I think my wife is worried that one day I'll hit it big and all I'll spend money on is like aquascaping our backyard. But it's, <laughs> I just find it fascinating. The sound of the water, the movement of the fish. It's, it's really cool. And there's just a huge science into, and, and really, I mean, koi fish are art and breed them as moving art pieces. And so it's, it's a really cool thing to, to see. Our next question. This is an important one. What are you drinking? So tonight's drink is sponsored by Angel's Envy, which is a bottle that Ron himself brought to my house. He's a nice guy that he is. And I've, uh, I've downed a good portion of it. I'm holding up the bottle here. But uh, I'm on my, my second glass of Angel's Envy. And uh, it's, it's probably my favorite of all the bourbons uh, that I've had in, in life. I don't think there's one I prefer more. Wow. That's awesome. I'm glad I picked that one out for you. That is a big statement. Yeah. Ron, 30 bottles that I own. Yeah, easily. <laughs> Ron, what about yourself? What are you having tonight? Well, I've got a special bottle as well. This is Stellan Bourbon. And I actually got this from a guest on the show. How cool is that? Man, who could that fine gentleman be? Of course, it's Dan Hellerman. So actually, I saw Dan this past weekend, and he gave me this wonderful bottle. And uh, I'm enjoying it. It's got a really nice kind of, it's got some of the oakiness. It's got some of the honey. It's got some of the other good stuff. But it's almost got this really nice kind of very gentle maple aftertaste which i'm really digging yeah. so what i thought was the most interesting outside of like you know that had been i think a recommendation on my works whiskey slack channel so shout out to them but i think that's where i saw that recommendation I could be botching that too but what i thought was so interesting about that bottle was that it's bottled like a wine not mm-hmm. at all like any bourbon i've seen around right it's got no. the, the full cork the you know the foil top it's really sort of an interesting look yeah it's really regal and the the, the bottle the way it the way it looks it's just it's really cool. So thank you so much for that, Dan. I'm for you, anything. And Alex, what are you drinking tonight? Well, make it three bourbons, gentlemen. I am drinking Breckenridge bourbon. Ooh. Nice. So nice. I'm enjoying that. And three bourbons tonight. Cheers. I know you've been thinking about this question because you know the question. Pick a piece of art 
that represents you, speaks to you, and tell us about it. So I'm not going to pick koi fish because I'm sure your listeners are sick of hearing me talk about them at this point. So to me, I'm going to angle my camera up a little bit. And what you're about to see, let me know when it comes into focus for you guys. For your listeners, this is a signed poster that I'm obsessed with from Bob Lazar. And if you don't know who Bob Lazar is, he was the person who has claimed that I, I believe he, to be credible to have worked at Area 51, specifically the S4 base inside of it. And now has told his story um, about working with different elements that don't exist and working directly on an actual captured space shuttle. And I got this directly from him. And it says to best wish to Daniel, best wishes Bob Lazar. And it's a, uh, it's something I'm obsessed with because, you know, this is, I think in the world of UFOs, one of the most credible stories in history. And to me to have both a copy of the print, uh, is, it's something I stare at all the time. So I'm like, man, if this is our most credible story and, you know, you can argue whether you think this guy's legit or not, but having something on your wall that doesn't belong to this world is uh, is a fascinating option. And so, so I like to hang it right over my desk. Wait, wait. So I've never heard of this guy, but I, I got it. You've never it. heard of this guy? No, but I'm not into the extraterrestrial uh, world. This guy, what's the, that's the story. He worked at area 51. He saw some crazy stuff and then he wrote a book about it. Uh, done more than that. He, he's, he started speaking about it. He actually disappeared. So there's like, this guy has lived the most crazy life of anyone. Um, was he, you know, was from, he, was he, was he anal probed? No, but he was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. So, mm-hmm. which, which uh, I'll say his Wikipedia says it was reduced to felony pandering to which he pleaded guilty. You know, he's just a crazy, crazy history, right? He's a guy who said, you know, he's made a bunch of claims about working with this element 115. And he said that a stable isotope of 115 can bend light and help, these vehicles transport and he claims to have um, worked at, to, went to MIT and the California Institute of Technology um, over at Caltech. And as of now, there's no records that he ever attended them, but there's, there's students that have gone there that said that they went to classes with him. There's other transcripts that he's provided and photos and things that he's, he's existed in. Um, then he went and said, Hey, I worked at Los Alamos, right? The, the famous physics facility. And then he went to work at, the S4, which is the super secretive base inside of Area 51. And so when his story came out and he and he left, he went on with George Knapp, who's a super, super famous guy off KLAS and, and investigative reporter, said, this is my story. And what happened was that Los Alamos and specifically said, hey, he's never worked here. And what don't you know it? He has produced and multiple other employees at Los Alamos produced copies of their employee directory with his name in there. There's, you know, files, his badges. He actually took a camera facility in before he was fired, quote unquote, from it into the Los Alamos, walked him in, showed him where he's doing research and everything, not to the S4 area, but all that was caught on camera. And they said he trespassed. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he was actually in their employee files. He's in their documentation. So there's some real truth to it. And he disappeared off of uh, the face of the earth, not really disappeared, but he, you know, didn't want to keep talking. He didn't make a ton of money off his appearances. He's re sort of come into the limelight recently because there was a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary on him, uh, which you can get. Jeremy Corbell produced it. And it it's really, really interesting. He's had his house raided by the FBI multiple times, always saying that it was like they were looking for some sort of hazardous substance or things like that. But anytime, you know, he, he it's a fascinating story. And, and to any of your listeners that are interested even remotely in it, watching either that show or listening to like a Mysterious Universe podcast or something about it, his whole history is absolutely incredible. And it's uh, you know, a lot of truth to it. I just have to ask one question about this. So the idea is 
that there's a conspiracy to 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 discredit him. Yeah. Like he talked about the universities that are not affiliated. They say he never went here. Employers are saying he never worked here. What's the rationale that he knows the truth, which is yeah. that there are aliens and our government does covers that up for some reason unbeknownst to us? So uh, I think the truth is the is how much has gone to discredit him and quiet him. Like, you know, obviously, you know, they said he never worked there. He's We've got employee directories. He developed this. Uh, the way that he got his job there is he developed a jet-powered car. Like, he was all over in the news for actually building a jet-powered car. And when they came and interviewed him, he introduced himself as, like, a Los Alamos physicist. And, like, that was where a lot of the first news came in on him. And then a couple of years later is when he came out and said, hey, I, I've done all this. And so to me, that's a huge piece. There's some other really interesting video snap snippets of it, but it's really the discrediting app. I mean, we know for a fact that he did it. And then S4, he said he worked at this place called S4, right? That was super secretive in Area 51. Nobody knew that existed. That term had never existed anywhere before he said it. And only in recent documentation in the last 10, 20 years has it come out that at Area 51, there's actually a site called S4. Um, and there wasn't even documentation that there was a site one through three. And so him specifically saying, and where he said it was, um, has now shown on Google Maps images and things, you know, 20, 30 years later, as well as other leaks, that a, a facility actually existed there. So for somebody like that to know that and not have access to the technology we do today tells me that he clearly had some inside knowledge. Dan, I am in love with your fascination of this guy. This, yeah. is, this is amazing. Ron and I, we did a road trip back in the fall. And when we were driving somewhere around Tucson, Arizona, we came across this roadside attraction along Interstate 10, and we saw the thing. And there is a mummified version of a. Well, don't don't give it away. There's something. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. There is a mummified alien. But the biggest thing that you're gonna find there is there's a 1937 Rolls Royce that Hitler used. And the driver of said Rolls Royce that drove Hitler around was an alien. Oh, what? Yeah. That's it's, cool. It's true. I would go check that out. <laughs> I'm, next, uh, next time you're in the southeastern part of Arizona, check it out. You're going to be in for a hoot, man. It's You won't miss it. I mean, we think, I think, what do we see? Probably about like 50 or 60 billboards for it. And it's kind of like the, amazing. it's kind of like south of the border anytime you're driving, you know, and they go, they go 50 miles south of the border, 49 yeah. miles south of the border. You so know, it's one of those, it's like that, but the thing. That's amazing. I saw, I have to check that out. I'm a huge paranormal nut job. I, I'm obsessed with it. I've been to basically every paranormal hotspot from, um, and, you know, the, we have a number of stories, but from, the, the gates of Area 51, which I went when we were on one of our seven business trips, to um, I actually stayed with like a, a commune of people who worship angel aliens in, uh, in Washington State outside of like um, Mount, uh, Mount Adams. Really, really fascinating place. I went overnight once on a trip to reading all this. I have a whole Misting 411 map to having been to Skimwalker Ranch to, you know, like Area 51. I've been to new one that just popped up called the meadow which is in alabama you know i've been to penhurst and i've been to um you know hundreds of haunted places in in and around pennsylvania all the way up to maine and down to to florida and so to me if there's a paranormal hotspot, i try to hit it well so dan i got one last question about this because then we got to move on but i'm just so intrigued by this 
just for for layman's like myself who don't really I've never really given much stock into aliens, but I'm always willing to learn and concede if if I'm wrong. Yep. Why would the aliens, if they exist and if they're around us, why would they be quiet and be in touch with the U.S. government? Yeah, I don't know if they are. To be honest, I think our government doesn't know what to make of whatever is there. And, the, you know, there's there's a lot of different theories on aliens. There's people that believe that they're extraterrestrial. There's people that believe that they're intraterrestrial, meaning they could live in the oceans or, um, you know, be from, you know, there's people that believe in hollow earth. I'm not technically one of them, but I, I wouldn't consider myself one of them. But there's there's a lot of different people to people I've met that like even claim that they might be demonic or some sort of like other force just trying to, because, you know, if you imagine like if a UFO were to land or people to see a UFO, they might not believe in God anymore because they don't think that, you know, aliens didn't exist in the Bible, therefore. So there's there's interesting takes on tons and tons of people. To me, I think it's almost like the analogy of ants beside a, a highway, right? To, uh, to them, like, we're the, if they can do what we think they can do and, and if they're real, right? And I don't know if I believe in them. I just find the top subject fascinating. If they do exist, right, then we are nothing, you know, we're like ants to them. We're really nothing else. We, we're not even close. And so we don't try to communicate with ants, right? We might have ant mazes and we might pick up and squish an ant or do things like that, but we don't act any real different to them, right? We try and map out and understand them, but communication can't even be, be done before. So I, I think it could be something like that. But the other part, uh, with my final thought there is just that, you know, our government, we have had so many just declassification in this last year of, you know, our government seeing UFOs and, and things appearing offside, like this Tic Tac that appeared off the Nimitz uh, UFO. And so what we know is that for years, 50 plus, 60 plus years, hundreds of years, really, if you look at old old things, we've had technology that could turn on a dime that can outrace and outmaneuver our best military. And that should be terrifying to any of us, even if you, you know, if, if we don't believe in the subject of UFOs, if we know that, you know, the UFOs that are being seen around our military bases that have been able to, in one shot, demilitarize a nuclear bomb, been able to, to buzz our towers and see the most intricate details of our military base in seconds and fly off, avoiding an F-16. To me, we should be terrified knowing that, you know, it's probably not Chinese. You know, the same thing's been been seen over there. There's some superpower in the world that's clearly hundreds of years ahead of us. That's just as terrifying an idea that it's an intelligent well, but, but, but let me ask you, why is that a terrifying idea? Because they've clearly never done anything to us before when we were even less civilized than we are today that we know of that we know of there's some so there's a bunch of interesting ideas so there's old manuscripts that have sky wars and things in them where people saw things in the sky and they'd like the the vin uh vimanas uh which is in some of the hindu texts things like that there's people you know I, i'm not a subscriber to this but things of the ancient alien conspiracies say that that could have been some stuff like jacob's chair or um Who's chariot in the Bible? Elijah, Jacob, whatever, right? Some of that stuff that was seen in the sky, the burning bits of that could have been theoretical, you know, aliens or that, you know, it, I'm not saying I believe in aliens. I find that to me, because I'm a technophile and I'm obsessed with technology, the idea that somebody's so far ahead of everybody else is just as fascinating as the idea of intelligent alien life. So let me ask you this. You got aliens. Do you put ghosts in the same camp or are they no, something no, no, else separate, entirely? Separate things. Ghosts come into three categories. So you're you're on my my category now. In my mind, there's ghosts that you have the sentient ghosts, which I think are probably just demonic stuff trying to fuck with people, and then you have the ghosts where you're like, I saw an old lady in a dress. And to me, I think that's almost. I think when an event happens with a tragedy or things like that, that a a 
energy goes into those things, right? I think we're seeing, you're seeing a replay, right? I don't think you're seeing anything intelligent at that point. Um, but I think that there could be an echo of energy that can can come to the surface or you're seeing, because everything that people repeat, repeat, at least a lot of ghost stories, right? Whether it's the Myrtle's plantation, whether it's, it always is people report seeing the same thing. I saw this little girl in a dress and she was here. I was always, lady in a dress, she was at the top of these stairs, but it was repetitive. And so to me, I think we're seeing an echo or a memory um, that's like sort of stuck in time. And I think it could happen when time has a dilation or other things. I don't think it might mess. I don't think it's necessarily ghosts. We might be seeing some sort of distortion. Okay. So in both cases, you're fascinated, but not necessarily convinced. Is that fair to say? That's that's correct. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that there's time dilations and there's issues, you know, that I don't think time is <clears throat> as stable as people think it is. And that that can cause oddities that people may claim are anything from a UFO to ghosts to all sorts of things. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I love your fascination. <clears throat> I, I don't think I'm as fascinated in ghosts and aliens as much as you are, but a lot of people think I'm strange because I could talk to you all day about serial killers. Oh, yeah. I, I just saw that there's a four-part series on The Son of Sam. Really, oh, really God. interesting. Have you watched Sasquatch yet on Hulu? It, no, I need to watch Sasquatch. So Sasquatch, it's, it's, it starts out with this guy investigating what was – they believe to be these people ripped limb to limb on a marijuana farm in Washington State and that people said it was Sasquatch. He, he seems to believe that it was drug runners back in like the 80s and stuff when he worked on the farm. But I am two episodes in. I haven't got the fun, but it's fascinating. Uh, well worth Like if you're right up that alley, it, it'll bridge both our interests. So check it out. I will check it out. You know what Mitch Hedberg's? Are you familiar with Mitch Hedberg? Oh, I love Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. You know what his theory is on Sasquatch? Shaky cameras? Or she, he's, a, he's just. He thinks Sasquatch is just. Blurry. An out of focus creature. Which is actually the most terrifying thing on earth. I, I would agree to that. It's not the, it's not the photographer's fault. The creature is blurry. Yeah. And fun fact, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but one of Ron's nicknames growing up was Sasquatch. No wonder I love him. So in that case, Ron, I have your footprint right behind me. That is a famous cast of one of the biggest footprint cases in, out of Washington, if you see that over in the corner there. That it's a real looks- life one taken from an actual... Uh, taken from the original of uh, this case in Hereford, Washington. That looks like it could be a distant relative of mine. <laughs> Absolutely. What's up, Julio? <laughs> so one, I've got one more question into the paranormal. Wait, wait, why are you evading the question, Ron? What size shoe are you? I'm size twelve, so I'm I'm clearly not not a Bigfoot, but um, I'm a thirteen. I think I'm okay. the closest on the. So scale. you're probably closer on the Bigfoot scale. All right, Philadelphia experiment was that real or just a great story? Oh man, this is what I'm absolutely obsessed with. I've been on the, you know, by the docks where this has happened, driven down with it. And for our guests that don't know, please, please let them know. I've studied this one a lot. And so there's a million different takes on it, but the belief was that there was this experiment done aboard a ship in order to experiment with cloaking technology, I believe was the original purpose of it. But what happened was that the ship phased out of existence. And when it phased back, the, soldiers that were stationed on the ship for the experiment were caught between walls. They had limbs fall off. They were in agony. And uh, then the, I believe the ship then did it blink out of existence or did the, did the people just disappear and get cleaned up? I'm trying well, to remember think, the final I think part those, of this. The one story I heard was that they, it had to do, I think, and this is where it may have been really good war propaganda, but the idea was that Einstein was working on some, some interesting things with relativity mm-hmm. They were doing some things to adjust the phase plane or energy on the ship. Mm -hmm. And what happened is they had it wired up and the ship 
I think it was the Eldridge or something. Yep. It would like it ended up showing up in like three or four different ports. Locations, yeah. As you say, it moved within and, like and, an hour. And report yeah, all over the world or all right. over the country at least. And there were reports of it, like, yes, that is the USS Eldridge. So somehow it passed through space and time. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really interesting case because a lot of UFO history has been used to cloak military technology because you know with Roswell um you know that story changed three times and and whether you take it as hey this originally happened and had a um you know and was UFO or whether you take it as they changed the story to sound more mysterious or whether that whole thing was staged like a lot of what they used then was like hey if Chinese should be terrified because the U.S. captured a real UFO they're unstoppable right and a lot of this technology has been been used and what's claimed to be UFOs some people believe, and I think this is a fascinating theory too, is that it's it's governments showing whose dick is bigger or grandstanding. Like when our U.S. military releases a footage of like off the Nimitz, right, of a Tic Tac UFO that we can't keep up with with our best military, it's saying, hey, motherfuckers, our best plane that you guys know of can't keep up with the new shit we just developed. Check this out. And it's like a dick measuring contest internationally. And I think that's a really cool idea around what UFOs could be too. And that being obsessed with planes... Um, especially the SR-71 Blackbird being my favorite. I think that that is a very real possibility. Wow. And that's what, and that's what yeah, for the Philadelphia experiment, that's supposedly what some people were saying was it was intentionally like war propaganda to say, mm-hmm. hey, look at what we've done. This, you know, it's it's a crazy experiment that went wrong, but we can tra- we can teleport basically a whole ship to yep. all over the world. Yeah, and that, that very well may be, have been the point. It's never been one that I've been overly fascinated with, even though it happened in Philadelphia, because the you know the wealth of people that have seen this or experienced it was at one fixed point in time. And so I've never encountered anyone around Philadelphia that can talk about it, never encountered somebody in real life that's had experience, whereas in my real life, I've, experienced, I've talked to maybe 30 to 40 people that have seen a UFO that I know and trust, right? Have seen something odd, right? I've talked to people that have seen some sort of a Bigfoot and people that have said other things. Um, and so to me, it's, it's not obsessive worthy because I don't have people that I trust that saw these things. Incredible. Dan, we really went down the rabbit hole. I'm so glad we did though. And we are loving every moment of it, but we got to go to commercial break. But let me tell you, when we come back, we're going to get a little bit more grounded. We're going to talk a little bit about Dan's career, some of his interests, which include the topic I'm most excited to talk about, which are souped out golf carts. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. Hey everyone, it's Ron. Wanted to take a quick moment to ask you as our listeners to do a quick favor for us. If you get a chance to, we're really trying to promote our YouTube channel. So if you'd be so kind as to actually go to look up Between Two Studs on YouTube and to click like or subscribe to any of our videos, we'd greatly appreciate it. And if you really don't want to do anything with YouTube, that's cool too. Send us a note. You can reach us at between at two studs.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. All right. Welcome back. We're hanging out with Mr. Dan Hellerman. We talked a little bit about the sci-fi little conspiracy theory. I want to get grounded a little bit. I want to talk just very quickly, Dan, about your career. You know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is the space of what they call account-based marketing and, you know, really targeting specific individuals and groups and companies 
I'd love you to explain it to a to a layman, but I I know for an example, it was like a week ago. I googled very quickly about Sonos. I was interested in some of their, their products and speaker systems, and it was not 20 minutes later. I'm on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and I see a Sonos advertisement. Walk me through how does that work, and what are the ethical implications of being able to follow people as they go down further on the website and their entire traffic history? Wow, that's a that's a three-part question. So, um, and you you hit on exactly what my my job is. So, kudos to you because a lot of people think that I'm just on the digital marketing side of Terminus and not actually the guy powering the uh, the technology behind it. So, account-based marketing in a nutshell, it's a whole movement, right? And it's a movement of instead of putting your marketing dollars on thousands of different accounts and hoping you're able to pull in the right sales, you're able to focus on your best fit accounts and help accelerate them through the sales funnel. And so when you do that, you typically see higher deal values, lower time to close, just a better experience end to end for your customers. And so what started out as just a movement running ads is now a movement including ads and chat and full funnel sales reporting and everything else on there. And so, you know, my job and to answer your question is to ensure that data across the internet is right, right? So when you're targeting people, if I wanna run an ad to people that are recently researching Sonos, I can do that. And so how you got that ad is, is of a number of different ways, right? And how that, that pixel, a simple way to do that, right? Would just be to, hey, you visited Sonos.com. We dropped a cookie or an identifier on your site because obviously cookies are going away and that's a whole nother topic we'll have to cover. But we, we identified you, we dropped that. And now the next site you're on, that'll take one of our advertisements where like, hey, this guy was, very recently on the site. So we want to spend more on him in order to get this. And a lot of times when you're doing retargeting ads like that, I'll actually spend less each time I see you in the future, knowing that you're most interested a few seconds after you've been on that main site, you're less interested with time goes down. And that's about hitting you with a value, right? Saying, hey, you're most recently here. I can close this deal. Let's let's try 10% off. Okay, it's three days later. Let's try 20% off. Let's it's five days later. Let's try 50% off, right? What's your, what do I have to do to break even to get this sale? And so that's that in a nutshell, but there's a whole nother piece of the internet that is leading a lot of this technology is the big keyword today. And that's intent data, right? And that's, hey, you never went to Sonos. How does Sonos figure out you're interested in Sonos? And that's buying data like, hey, you read the CNN article on the top wireless speaker systems and they bought the bid data, meaning like, hey, when you saw that ad, there was a, you when you saw that page, there's a whole, totally non-relevant ad. Maybe it was something for hemorrhoid cream <laughs> that was served to you, right? But they look across all the bids and they said, hey, this cookie, cookie one, two, three, that may or may not be Alex Stud, it just recently read the Sonos article or article on wireless speakers. Because we've identified that and through natural language processor, we figured out what the content is on this page. In the future, we're going to hit him with a Sonos ad because we know he read this content. And that's a, a really fascinating topic across the web and something a lot of people find creepy, but I find absolutely fascinating. So yeah, it wasn't that long ago that where I am a 25-year-old male getting an advertisement for AARP, right? It was very much a spray and pray methodology. And now I assume they're combining everything that you just mentioned, Dan, which is they know I was on Sonos.com. They know I read an article about speakers. And they probably also, I would assume, have a demographic background on me. Absolutely. They know they know I'm a 30-year-old straight man who my income bracket and where I live in the country. And I assume all of that is fed in combined, and I have a score that says advertise X, Y, and Z to Alex Studd. Is yep, that yeah. right? 
yeah, all those sub features you talk about are, are used as what we call bid modifiers, but it says, hey, white males in their 30s are more likely to buy this, so let's bid up because of this. Oh, but you're in Chicago, which is a terrible spot for Sonos. I, you know, I'm just pulling this out of my ass. You know, let's bid down on that, right? Oh, but you're you bought two or three technical products off Amazon in the last couple of months or did X, Y, and Z. Let's bid up because of that there's a whole bunch of those, you know, demographics that go into picking out somebody on the on the internet. And as cookies go away, right? That's most of that data is generated by cookies. As that goes away and we move on to new identifiers, it's about to get really interesting on how that's done. And not only how that's done, but how we continue to do that at the same level of accuracy in the future. You'd mentioned earlier that there's obviously a percentage of this population that find it creepy. And yep. and for good reason. I'll say me personally, I actually kind of like it because mm-hmm. I'm getting advertised things that I actually care about. I don't know how many times I've been advertised something that's on sale that I've actually been looking at. And I finally, now that it's on sale, I bought it for 20% off. And it's like, I wouldn't have known if I wasn't advertised that it was on sale. But for people who do have concerns about their privacy, is there anything that they can do or is privacy on the internet an oxymoron? Well, yeah, that's a, it's a deep, deep rooted question. Um, I'm also one who enjoys the ads and also a realist because I realize that most sites can only afford to create the content I'm enjoying consuming because they're using me as their, uh, you know, as the thing that they sell to make money. And so, Yes, there's there's a number of ways that people can be private on the internet, right? One of my favorite things is uh, the web browser Brave, right? That anonymizes a lot of your settings. Um, but the internet's catching up fast. Uh, tools like Google Chrome in the next couple of months are going to totally eliminate the use of cookies and only allow targeting by some other features. You could be using a VPN. You could use there's there's actually sites you can go out to there to, to that will fake internet history for you so that you can look like whoever you want to look like. So if you want to do like make weird internet history, you can go to the site and it'll generate and it'll be like, okay, well, you're now a 90 year old female that's into horse racing and exotic tigers. But, but I would hate that because now I'm being advertised things that I absolutely hate. I mean, I guess, I guess maybe you're giving like an FU to the advertisers. Yeah, a lot of companies but, do that. But I'd rather be advertised things that I'm actually interested in personally. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I think there's a line between caring and creepy and that's been crossed with cookies and that's why cookies are going away to me the future needs to be less creepy the problem with cookies now is that if you're wells fargo you could cross reference a cookie for alex studd's bank account with webmd uh history along with intent and other data and say hey you know alex has a history of hemorrhoids and an 800 credit score but only four dollars in his bank account right to me that's a step too far so having per site specific or publisher specific settings that still can keep that level of anonymity that you want, right? To, to not have those things cross-referenced, but at the same time, get those detailed ads that, you know, you or I both benefit from, whether it's discounts or just things that you're actually interested in. I think that that is a huge benefit to the web that, that shouldn't be overlooked. Well, so my last question about that, because I, I, I want to come back to the example that you just mentioned, but as opposed to your bank, you went on, you went on WebMD and your insurance company knows about where you went on WebMD and they know you're Googling about specific concerns. Are there any legal restrictions about your insurance company saying, I I look at Alex has been Googling these things. We yeah. think he might have a pre-existing condition to X, Y, and Z, and we're not going to cover so it. So typically, typically most identification of cookies is done on the cookie basis, meaning we might not know that this is Alex Studd. We know that this cookie 
is on here and has been collected as part of these cohorts, but isn't necessarily him. However, if you're doing retargeting or if you're doing first party conversion where I converted alex.stud at Gmail or whatever your email is to a cookie and then followed you across the web, you very well could know. And so, you know, to your question, there's definitely privacy concerns. And so it's why you have sites like EMEA with GDPR rules or Brazil with LGPD that say, hey, you know, you can't target people at the person level. You can't target them when they're at their household IPs using any sort of known information because we're not comfortable with that. Or even, you know, CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act, you know, that 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 skirts a little bit of that line. It's not as strict as the other two. But um, I would expect to see a movement towards more internet privacy as things go on. But there's there's always a new identifier across the web. And, and same things happening as cookies are getting replaced. Shifting gears a little bit. And by the way, my whole thing on that is I intentionally spoof it with uh, looking up G6s and hiring pilots for my G6s, ethnic care products uh, for myself. Oh, and buying islands. Those four things, you do them, you're you're going to have some really interesting ads, but I like it. But Hey, our browser history is the same, but I don't spoof it. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. All right. So you grew up in the Northeast. You went to Penn State. You left about five years ago. What do you miss about living in the Northeast? Outside of my koi pond, good bread, right? We talked about this earlier, Amorosa rolls, right. 100%. You, there are not hoagies that are good down here in Georgia. There's one restaurant I found out, shout out to Hoboken Cafe on Whitlock in Ooh. Marietta. Only one I found that comes anywhere close to good quality subs. And then pizza, same thing, right? The crust yeah. isn't the same as you get up there. There's been two to three restaurants, right? I got... I'll shout out Brooklyn Joe's Taste of Italy on 92. Only two that I found that's anywhere close to home. Yeah, that's true. So kind of conversely with that, you, you talked earlier about maybe outside of bread and, and pizza that that Georgia has a better food scene mm -hmm. than the Northeast. Mm -hmm. You have a guest coming in from the Northeast. Let's just say me. I'm coming down. I say, screw Ron. I want to hang out with Dan Hellerman for the weekend. Where are you taking me for dinner? So that's a, that's such a deep question because it depends on I'm a, by as the a way, foodie. By the way, by the way, it doesn't have to be a specific restaurant, but a cuisine, or or give me something. It it varies, right? So to me, we live about five minutes from downtown Woodstock, so we can take our souped-up golf cart, which we'll talk about in a little bit, downtown there and eat at like thirty different great great restaurants. If I could pick one restaurant in all of Georgia, right? That Hoboken Cafe on Whitlock, they're Italian, they're subs. Everything is so good. I brought my friend who's one of 16 kids, Italian family, runs a catering company, best Italian I've ever had down there, and he felt at home. So to me, like, I, you know, I love their family. They're one of my best friends. That sort of food is comfort food to me. But if you're like, hey, I want to experience Georgia, I'm taking you to the rotisserie shop, best rotisserie chicken in the world. If you're like, hey, I want to see, you know, Georgia's a melting pot. A lot of people think it's just a bunch of white dudes barbecuing down here. We have the best Chinese food, the best Korean food, the best Indian food the best Peruvian food I've had down here. And so to me, I'm taking, you know, one of those. So really, you know, it depends on your palate, but there's such phenomenal food down here. You really can't pass it up. Love it. So let's get into what you just alluded to. And I've alluded to it previously too. The thing I'm most excited to talk about golf carts. You are, is it fair to say you, you, you are a golf cart enthusiast? Uh, that is very fair to say, but not a golfer. So tell yeah. me about yeah, Tell me about the wonderful world of driving around in a golf cart without golfing. So we're about to get as weird on this as we did with the supernatural stuff. So golf cart culture is a big thing in the South. Uh, there's a 
a town down here called Peachtree City that's entirely golf cart commutable. It's 25 miles an hour roads everywhere. People take their golf carts to Costco, to the gas station, to the movie theater, everything. I live in Woodstock, Georgia, which is also super golf cart friendly. From my front door to the end of downtown is about an eight mile stretch that I can take my rest my golf cart to one of 30 different restaurants. Now, that being aside, there's actual golf cart culture, right? And so there's a war, in my opinion, between people that drive electric and people that drive gas. Um, and there's people that, that have huge claims for each side. To me, my last golf cart was a uh, 1999 Yamaha G16. It was a gas motor. I tweaked the hell out of it. Shout out to Don Plowman, who's a, a rain man of golf carts. Got that thing doing 30, 35 miles an hour on four wheels until I was driving back from one of those restaurants I talked about downtown and was going so fast. I was going like 35 miles an hour and I, I did not have the setup right. I'm terrible with gas engines, great with electric. Um, I sheared off the clutch, uh, the secondary clutch into the middle of the road. It sounded like a gunshot. I had neighbors run and tow me home. And that was the, that was the end of the Yamaha G16. I got to ride on it. And yeah. for, for our listeners, let me, let me explain this wonderful, wonderful uh, form oh, of transportation, do. because I, I don't think that as somebody who hadn't experienced it before, I mean, I had ridden on a golf cart before and it was like, yeah, that's kind of fun. But this golf cart that Dan had, not only was it very fast, but not only is the community Woodstock, it is incredibly accessible, as Dan mentioned. It's kind of like, almost like, why would you want to take the car out when you can take the golf cart? And you can just kind of go out on your way. You park and, you know, there's all these areas where you can easily park. Dan's taking us, the whole family, down to these various restaurants in Woodstock. And it's just like, yeah, it's so much more convenient. It's comfortable. And honestly, it's a fun ride down. I mean, when was the last time you were in a car ride where you're like, oh, yeah, that was a fun five-minute drive. This is a fun maybe five, seven-minute drive. But you get there, you have awesome fun. And it's just, I don't know. There's something that was a lot of fun about doing that. You're, yeah, I mean, to me, that that's it, right? It's, it's a whimsical. Like, I'm big into whimsy, to having fun. And that was the reason we got it, right, was to get to the – to the pool in our neighborhood and to get downtown. And and when that went, you know, I had a hole in my heart. And so I upgraded to these new golf carts, right? The, so Yamaha is made down here in Georgia. I was a big Yamaha fan. There's EasyGo is the other great one, but I upgraded to these new, new company out of Tampa called Icom, which is like the Ferrari of golf carts. So you can natively, they come, they run about 25, 30 miles an hour. You can tweak them. People, according to them, they've had them run in their, in their own factories to 55 miles an hour. <laughs> now, this is where the golf cart culture comes in. So there's a whole, not only do you have your regular electric golf carts, there's a whole group of people that run either Plum Quick Motors, they're called, or Navitas Motors. They can take these electric golf carts, you know, like a Tesla. They shoot off the line. They wheelie. Is, and let me ask you, is that street legal? Like, can you drive a, can, <laughs> can, can you drive a golf cart going 80 miles an hour? Uh, so there are, there's videos of people on some of – Golf Carts Modified, great group on Facebook. They have – a video of somebody on a high abuse like I think motorcycle powered golf cart doing like 80 and it's got a, it's got um, a, a wheelie bar because when it accelerates the entire front wheels lift off. And so yes, yes, you can. Uh, the fastest I've gone in one is probably 35, 36, but they're, they're just so fun. And, and for us with these, these icons and going up and downtown, it's, it's the preferred method of transportation. Do you have golf cart races with your neighbors? I helped a neighbor of mine put in a Navitas system uh, into his recently, and he has a higher top speed, which is annoying to me. I need to, I need to modify mine because I can definitely take him 
but we're about the two fastest. Most of our other neighbors, the speed limit and the, the laws in downtown Woodstock require your car to be limited 25, 20 miles an hour or more. So you even have the option of putting a speed speed switch to limit you to 20, or you just try to keep it under 20 when you're driving. Um, I think the speed test is switch is the obvious one, but that's sort of the requirement to go downtown. But to me, when, when you get a lot of traffic behind you, I like to turn it up to 35, you know, and just tear down at, at the actual road speed so that I can keep up with traffic. That's incredible. If I were to move down to the South, I moved to Woodstock with my wife and first priority outside of buying the house is getting a golf cart. And I don't need the Ferrari of golf carts. Yes, I just you want, I, but hear me out. I want to get started. I want to, I want my starter, my starter golf cart ballpark figure. How much am I running? It, there's a range. So my Yamaha G16 that I bought, we talked about that. I got up to 35. I dropped $1,400 off on it from, from off Craigslist. And I drove it up into the it. back of a, yeah, I drove it up into the back of a, uh, hold on. There's, there's some caveats here. Don't worry, Alex. Right. Uh, I drove it up to, into the back of a home Depot pickup truck, drove it back on the highway, got it home. It belched oil. It burnt these huge blue clouds that would annoy anybody in California. And it just, it really was, you know, it, it got worse gas mileage to be honest with you than, than like a Dodge Viper. I averaged like, I would go downtown and back, which is like an eight mile round trip. And I would use almost two gallons of gas in a fucking <laughs> golf cart. And I would leave these big blue clouds where everyone went. My, it was so bad. My wife refused to sit on the back seat because it needed new oil rings, all these things. <laughs> now, that was the startup. I put about three to, well, I put a back seat on it. I put a bunch of other things. If I just wanted it to go that fast, I could have put in 300 bucks and called it a day. Um, but there are people that spend 20, 30 grand. There are Ferraris of golf carts that are that start at $35,000, $40,000 that people buy. To me, if you wanted a good starter golf cart, you're at about 3500 for a good electric or gas. Um, that's actually cheaper. That's actually cheaper than I was expecting. I was expecting the lay down between seven and ten grand. No, no, mine brand new was uh, eighty eight hundred. So I could get a good one for eighty eight. I mean, that's that's yeah. reasonable. Yeah. Oh, totally reasonable. And it was brand new. It got shipped up from Tampa, and they delivered it right to our doorstep. So, do people get them all souped up with lights and bells and whistles and all that? No. So I both carts had underglow. Both are decked out in rainbow or like rainbow. Uh, RGB lights that I can change colors. Both, ha uh, well, the, my newest car has a huge off-roading light bar that's like 4,000 lumens that can, it looks like lightning when you turn it on. Um, and both have stereos. So yes, uh, you're, to answer your question, you can go as crazy as you want. Mine has a six inch lift and uh, I don't know what size these wheels are, maybe 23 inch wheels so that I can go off-roading and down back roads and things like that. And so, yes, wow. it's a whole culture behind that too. Dan has taken me off-road as well on his cart. Which is fun. Oh, it's a lot of fun. But it's the other thing I was going to add, too, is Dan is also, Dan, to your credit, I would say you're a bit of a golf cart whisperer. Like, you've helped your neighbors. You've certainly helped yourself. You know how to mod things. So part of it, too, may also just be if you know the right person, right? Yeah. So the beauty with these electric carts is that uh, versus a gas, because I'm terrible with gas things. Don't ask me to fix your car. I can maybe change the oil. But the beauty with Electric is it's Legos. It's fucking Legos. You have a, a motor that's like round and you just put it in. You have a controller and you have a speedometer and you just hook the three little plugs and it's easier than building a computer by a huge, huge percentage. And so to me, with my car upstairs, if I want it to go 55 right now or 35 really, all I have to do is plug in a USB port between the motor and my a laptop, open a piece of software and change 
literally you just change the RPM. So it's you divide by a certain number. I set it from 6,000 to 7,000. I'm at 35 miles an hour. I set it to 10,000. I'm at like 55. It's a one digit, you know, couple digit change in a CSV file. You're done. You save it to the thing and it's unlocked and going. You're making me want to get a golf cart. So you deserve bad. one. But somehow the idea of driving a golf cart down Sheridan Road uh, in Chicago, I, I don't think I'd make it very far before the Popo would show up and stop me. Well, so I had a similar issue. I haven't, I've, I haven't gotten in too much trouble on the golf cart, but I, in between the golf, when, when I bought the, right after I bought this golf cart, I also bought a mini bike from somebody, a kid's mini bike. So it was an MB80. If you're familiar with those, they're a $300 Walmart special mini bike for kids. It has a little gas uh, um, pressure washer motor. And I replaced the pressure washer motor with like a 200 CC motor put in a stage one kit, which is like a bigger air filter and everything. And this kids braked, you know, mini bike that was supposed to carry somebody 80 pounds was carrying me at 47 miles an hour. And that I got in trouble on. That's incredible. I, I, I want to move to the South specifically for a golf cart lifestyle. It sounds yeah. incredible. And I, I aspire for that. So you deserve wonderful. It. Thank you so much for giving us that inside scoop. I, I do want to come back to food for a moment though. Ooh. The next question is, you know, we've had a lot of our guests who hail from the Philadelphia area and they, they, you know, just like everybody, they rave about how great Wawa is. But now that you are, or practically are a Georgian, what's your take on Waffle House? Is it the greatest thing on earth or is it totally overrated? It's the worst thing on earth and it's a waste of space to where it's erected. I'm a foodie. I'm too much of a foodie. I tried to eat there to enjoy the Georgian thing. And I get where if you're drunk off your ass, you might want to go there. But to me, if I'm drunk off my ass, I'm going to go to fucking IHOP. That's where I went when I left your wedding, Ron. I went to IHOP. Good to uh, know. Down there on, on whatever. And I got their, their pecan pancakes because we uh, were too busy dancing and not busy enough eating. And I, I had to, to soap up some alcohol. And uh, and to me, it's... it's uh, I've never had a good meal at House. It's not made for good meal. It's made for uh, good fights that end up on TikTok. <laughs> but outside of that, it, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get flamed hard for this. But I was I'm gonna not a say, uh, Ron, you might need to set up some sort of uh, dumb button. script. You might have to set up some sort of script that this this podcast doesn't air in the state of Georgia because I feel like Dan's gonna get a lot of hate mail. I'll have uh, to put I, a, I'll, You know what? We were talking before the episode started. I'll have to put a disclaimer. Announcing to everybody, saying, you know, about how Dan's opinions do not necessarily reflect the view of people that live in Georgia that are producing <laughs> this podcast. If you are a Georgian, you might get offended on tonight's episode. But I think, to be fair, when it comes to Waffle House, like we've talked to my dad about this many a times, Waffle House, I think it's all about framing your experience. Like yep. you're not going to go for like, hey, this is this is gourmet. On the other hand, I guess to your point, like yeah, if you're drunk off your ass or you're just like, hey, I just want something that is quick and easy, smothered and covered, it'll work. Now so, to get to get you know, some of the Georgian people back on my side, Flying Biscuit Cafe, phenomenal for breakfast, but to ooh. me, the thing I love most about Georgia, and this is going to get me back on their side maybe, is these breakfast biscuit idea. We recently went to this place called Cathead Breakfast Biscuits up here. And if you haven't had a breakfast biscuit, it's a fucking biscuit the size of my fist on top of uh, – this is what I got. I pulled up my Uber Eats so I could talk about these. Buffalo chicken breakfast brisket with blue cheese on the side, 
smothered in the, 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 you know, the biscuit and gravy. What do you call that gravy that you put it on it? I got a bacon lovers, a buffalo chicken. I got them and then they give it to you and then you dip that in maple syrup. That to me is peak Georgian, true Georgian food. And it's the best stuff on earth. You know, speaking of great food and speaking of working with Alex and I, right? What's the best lunch spot that we've all gone to together when we were in Delaware, when we worked for Sev Lunch? So this is almost a setup because you know I'm a foodie, but to me, this is where I put my foodie and I throw it aside. This is our Waffle House. Our Waffle House was that fucking sushi buffet that was right <laughs> off of the highway where we worked. And I don't remember the name of it. I'm sorry, owners. But you could get for $7.99, it was all you could eat sushi. And for an extra $2, you could throw on the hibachi that they would make you there. And I'd get double egg with the meat. That, <laughs> I got so much food poisoning, I'm sure. But it was the best. And I miss it every day. And to be honest, I put on like 60 pounds working at Sev One. And 50 of those 60 were probably at that sushi buffet. <laughs> well, Dan, we just did an episode with Alec Artoski. And did you really? Yes. Must have air before him. He's an asshole. And- <laughs> you can tell him I love him. He owes, hear- he owes me twenty dollars. He took twenty dollars from me on my last day. He'll hear it from the episode. Good. But I- I'll tell you right now, we talked about this magical place, and I, I thought it was like eleven bucks. But even at eleven bucks, it was a steal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where you, we just ate so much food, and then we'd roll our ways back into the office. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, there was no work getting done after we ate there. So you guys know the other place though, you know, now that I got out the waffle house of Wilmington, Delaware, let's talk, let's talk about good food. So, you know, there's two other places I took you guys. There's the well coffee house, which I loved, um, down there and it had phenomenal sandwiches, but we really want to talk about this restaurant. My absolute favorite Delaware restaurant is called two fat guys. And there's a reason for it. So when my wife and I first got married shortly after Ron, you and Susan, we moved down off of Route 41 into Delaware. Um, like our backyard literally backed up to, to Joe Biden's. We went to church with him a couple times, whole other story. But across the street from our house was a really expensive pizza spot, which was good. But there was also this place called Two Fat Guys that changed my life forever. They had two life-changing things that let me put on like part of that 60 pounds directly after I got married. But I was married, so fuck it, I could let myself go. Right. So the two life-changing things, one chocolate chili it was chili that was thickened with chocolate powder right cocoa and it was absolutely fucking phenomenal not not a taste of chocolate to it but just some of the best chili i've ever had in my life and number two was the elvis burger which was a burger with bacon and peanut butter on it i had never had a a burger with peanut butter but i nutted up and tried that thing and i got it every fucking time i was there it would be a two to three thousand dollar calorie or two sorry two to three thousand calorie meal every time i ate there but there was nothing better than that place now I know you guys probably have some fond memories of eating there as well. Well, I don't know if you remember this. Actually, a little pop quiz for you. Ooh. Caesar, mutual friend of all of ours. Yep. I was his lost, best man. Lost a bet to me. And as the reward for me, he had I to take, do remember this. He what had was the bet to on? Take, the bet was whether Bitcoin would ever top a thousand dollars. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. And he did. He said, "Alex, it's never in a million years going to top a thousand dollars. You're an idiot." Oops. And I said, "I said, well, let's put money on it." I said, "I said, loser has to take the other one out." And yeah, you said man, a date too. That was the best. That was the best chocolate chili I've ever had in my entire life. And I remember you kept because you went out with us. Yeah. 
And you kept coercing me to order more and more because you knew Caesar was having to pay for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're like, you're like, I think I got almost everything on the menu. You were like, been Caesar's get best that. man. That guy deserves to pay. <laughs> you were like, get that and get this and get this. And then I was so full and you're like, well, Alex, you got to get dessert. Well, you did have to get dessert. Dessert was right there too. <laughs> so that was because Bitcoin topped $1,000, which now it's, uh, what, over $60,000? So, you know. Next uh, time, it's about fifty-five. Next, next time you talk to uh, old Caesar, give him a give him a good ribbing for me. I'm literally. He just texted me a minute ago. I'm going to tell him eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that, Pat. Now he's he's like I said, he's one of my best friends. I was the best man at his wedding. We got to cut to one last question, and this is a very very important question. And I know that Alex and I, having worked with you. We've we've got this very intricate history with you. So this is a very important one. And we joke around with you about this, but it's important. Who is your favorite stud? Oh, Ron, hands down. Alex is even a car. What's he gonna do? Fly to me? Oh, <laughs> yeah, Ooh. I could I could fly to you. Good, then you'll be buying dinner. And okay. You'll still not even catch up because Dan and I've been going out a lot more lately. Uh, Ron bought me thirty three bottles of uh, of bourbon that are on top of my fridge as well as <laughs> as as far as i know he's always told me he was the true inspiration for this podcast and he just brought you on because he felt bad so <laughs> that's exactly how the story went yes love it i love you both equally i think you guys realize this at this point true. um but brought a little bit more because he's closer to me and you left us in the you know to go to the cold so <laughs> to be fair, you left us first, and then Ron followed you by going to Georgia. User, <laughs> I still remember that phone call. I remember yeah. him and Sue's calling us and saying, "What do you think of Georgia?" Yeah, no, legit. That was something we called Dan up. We called up the Hellermans because I was like, "Hey, Laura and Dan, they've lived there for a while. Let's hear their insight about what they think about Georgia." And that helped in cementing our decision to move to Georgia. So, thank you very much, Dan. And, and to be do you fair. No, not at all. See? And to be fair, like we just hang out, we just hung out this weekend, and we had a lot of fun. Unfortunately, uh, Dan's son was not feeling so well, but we had some amazing barbecue, though, right? Oh, that was a good barbecue. It was a real good barbecue. It I actually did some of that up later. Ooh. Hey, Dan, thank you so much for spending your evening with us. Honestly, this was just a fun time. So thank you so much for coming on. I, I loved it. I've never had a better time than when I was between two studs. It's... You're not the first person to say that. Yeah, oh, I feel bad for the other one. But we have to, absolutely have to have you on our second season. So oh, thank I'll you so here. much, Dan. We appreciate it. All right, I love you both. And with that, we'll end this episode. So thank you for listening.